forever. Dog. Welcome to Public Intellectual. Public Intellectual is a podcast supported solely by its listeners. So if you would like to become a supporter, please go to patreon.com slash public intellectual. And for a small monthly donation, get access to all of the usual podcast things like bonus episodes and a blog and a tote bag. Again, go to patreon.com slash public intellectual. As you probably know, I do tarot readings. And while I started off mostly working with writers and artists dealing with creative blocks, I have noticed a new trend in the readings. People coming to me are asking about how to create more meaning in their lives. Not just meaning in the sense of, I want to travel the world and sell my books and all of that very self-focused kind of meaning. People want to know how to live out their lives in true alignment with their values how to feel like they are contributing rather than just taking, how to move past the individual and start to feel part of a collective. It goes against everything in our culture that tells us our personal success and comfort and ambition is the most important thing. But I do feel a real ache for this, and it's a question I keep getting over and over. I spoke with Lada Tenhunen, an activist in Madrid, currently helping to organize and participate in the mass occupation of bank-owned property in Spain. She's written beautifully on the difficulty of these collaborative projects that go against social conditioning and the way that she was raised. We talked in Madrid about taking direct action to society's problems, but also this larger question of meaning how to make a life meaningful. The conversation we had was and is important to me, so let's just get started. In the American news, um, there were reports about the eviction protests in Madrid. Um, and in a way that uh, it was not, we haven't heard of it, about it in, coming from other cities. So I guess what it, my first question is, how did the evictions become such a uh, rallying point politically in Madrid? And are you aware of other cities that are are sort of organizing in the same way? Because it does seem something like something unique to Madrid. Well, I I could start with correcting that okay, that <laughs> assumption. Uh, it's not unique to Madrid. Um, actually, the platform of the people affected by mortgage loans, LAPA. Um, was started in Barcelona, actually, um, in 2008 going to 2009, when uh, it was already clear that the the mortgage loan bubble will burst at at some point. So um, they were the pioneers, the first ones to to cre- create this platform. And uh, during the first uh, few years, uh, there were also uh, some smaller groups in in Madrid. Uh, principally uh, foremost, I mean, um, the Equatorian community had a lot of lots of uh, mortgage loans that had uh, crossed guarantors, which meant that um, when you went to ask for the mortgage loan and you could not uh, provide a guarantor uh, from your family or so because you are a migrant, the first uh, generation migrant and you don't 
have that kind of a network here. Uh, what the bank would then do uh, was to propose uh, you to co-sign with an unknown person to you, and the unknown person would co-sign with you. And uh, that meant that at the point when uh, people started falling in on payment, couldn't pay, uh, all of a sudden you could receive uh, the requirement of payment um, because of a person you had never in your life met. And, and that was one of the first initiatives for, for the Equatorian community to organize in Madrid. And this was already happening um, at the same time before uh, the platform for affected uh, by mortgage existed actually in Madrid. And uh, here it was um, the uprising in the plazas and in the networks of the year of 2011 that actually gave the, gave them the push uh, for the platform to be, be created. And at the same time, because this uprising uh, went like wildfire from one city to another, uh, the, the platform of people affected by mortgage uh, being a huge part of of the um, the effects, the symptoms of the crisis, uh, that was the prime cause of the uprising, uh, also spread with these these mobilizations. So uh, it is in 2011 that the platform of people are, uh, affected by mortgage is actually being being created here in in Madrid. And how did it grow? Um, so there have obviously been, you know, I guess my, my, my curiosity comes from the point of certainly there have been sort of um, mass evictions in America, but you don't see political organization around it. Um, so the political organization that has happened in Madrid around these uh, evictions seems to be really kind of effective. I mean, you can uh, correct me on that as well, on what qualifies as effective, right? Like what, obviously people are still losing their homes. So um, effective is, is, um, is a weird word to use on that. But the, um, the image of it and the message seems to be coming through in a way that it, it just doesn't in, uh, in America or really outside uh, Spain in a lot of places. I think that you can definitely um, judge or, or analyze uh, LAPA uh, as an effective movement um, as far as you also have to value the fact that uh, the movement has been capable of existing almost a decade and that is not generally the case because uh, these kind of things happen with um, with a strong political push in, the, in hard moments, and they tend to die when when that issue is um, taken care of, so to say. Mm, there are mm, a variety of factors to consider. A, the issue has not is not even close to being resolved in Spain. Obviously, uh, if we want to contrast. Um, the statistics on evictions, for instance, which is one of the one of the statistics that give us some idea. During the peak of the crisis in 2012, there was uh, 517 evictions for mortgage loans alone per day in whole Spain, and and at this moment we are down to 60 mortgage loan uh, home evictions per day. But at the same time, there is another. A uh, speculative bubble being 
created as we speak and on on rental property so now today uh, we have to add up to the 60 daily mortgage evictions 107 rental evictions and also remember that in none of these uh, these statistics uh, the evictions for uh, precarious living, precarious housing, which would mean occupations, mm -hmm. are being counted in. So, so this uh, this do also happen. Uh, we don't know the exact numbers. They are probably quite high, and there they are no statistics whatsoever to document that. And so, how did, how and when did you get involved in the building occupations? Um, so you said that you've lived in this property for about four years. Um, and it, so is this the first property that you occupied yourself personally? Um, and how did you, uh, you know, come about to choosing this property and, and so on? Well, um, what happens with this campaign uh, of recovering buildings owned by banks is that uh, LAPA also, also has a legal strategy, like, um, has been trying to create uh, reform, create a new law actually for housing sector in, in whole Spain since uh, 2012. Mm -hmm. And in 2013, uh, this uh, citizens' law initiative passed was passed onto the uh, government uh, that was then um, Partido Popular, the Conservative Popular Party government that blocked altogether every kind of intent on on the legal sense so as one of the law initiatives parts was that all of the buildings that belong to banks that have been rescued by public money uh, should be put into social use uh, when this initiative was blocked by the government uh, lapa then said uh, we must do it ourselves we will start a dis disobedient uh, direct action campaign and recover one by one the buildings that belong to those banks uh, with with the legitimacy of the fact that uh, the whole whole uh, population here has been paying um, through 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 the money through the state money but also in in blood and tears so to say in certain sense these these uh these plans of rescuing the banks instead of the population. So this is the history of, of the campaign. And uh, when we started to plan the occupation of this building in particular in, in Vallecas, in our district, uh, we already had a lot of experience. We had a previous building that was occupied uh, in the gap between um, 15M, which is the uprising of 2011, and the beginning of uh, Pa Vallecas, our group such as it exists today. So um, we had experience of how to do it in the technical sense, and, and now we would do it um, in the political sense in another way. Um, for, uh, in a way that would make us to form part of this campaign, which meant um, that we need the building to belong to a bank or um, um, an agency that is directly linked to one of the rescued banks. We chose two buildings because at the same at that moment we had a really big group where a lot of folks we had come to a point that there was no other alternative. We came from different backgrounds with different kinds of particular situations, and I don't. Uh, 
find the particularity of each situation uh, excessively interesting. In my case, uh, I came from what we uh, we usually call a silent eviction, in the sense that there was no resistance. In my case, I was living in a shared flat uh, without any contract whatsoever, and and I, as many many most of uh, the group that we formed uh, were with no income at the moment or with a really precarious low income, and and this would be our way to to get ahead in life in, in that situation. So we chose two buildings. It was quite, quite ambitious, but uh, that was also one of our, our biggest uh, victories. We occupied two buildings in the same day, in the beginning of April 2014. One of them belonged to Banco Sabadell, and the other one, the one where I'm living in, to Bankia, which is... Um, the cornerstone, so to say, of the government's operation from saving the banks. Um, so this housing policy, um, so obviously things have been a, bit, a little bit weird in Spain recently. The prime minister was removed. Um, so is there a sense of there being a possibility for that policy to be sort of reconsidered or is the political change uh, more cosmetic or, um, you know, uh, does, does it give one actual hope or does it just feel like kind of probably just going to be more of the same, just in a slightly different format? The Spain's political system, uh, at least until until Podemos and Ciudadanos were born after the uprising, uh, has been a really um, long, well, not long because you have a very small time gap actually from the dictatorship <laughs> when you uh, compare with other European countries. But <clears throat> in that time frame, it has always been a two-party system, a strongly two-party system, where there is not a lot of contrast between the two parties. Yeah. You know how this goes really well. You are yes. from the States. Yes, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, um, we have to function with what is the reality that exists. So so now uh, when Rajoy is, is out of office and there is a socialist, socialist uh, government, we are hanging on to the thread uh, that is the promise of Pedro Sanchez, uh, who is now head of government, when he was not in the government, to uh, not veto our law initiative that has been on the table since since 2013. So um, we do what we do, whoever is governing. Uh, we do pressure on the street, we do disobedient campaigns, we do uh, meetings with all of the parties, uh, we, we do lobbying in that sense, if you like. Uh, personally, uh, I don't think that the change is more than cosmetic. Most of us don't, but obviously we have to uh, we have to keep on uh, onto that thread and, yeah. and try to get what we what we can out of there. And what's your relationship with Bankia? Um, so in your piece, you talk about sort of these social rent contracts, which are the goal, right? To to be able to um, be acknowledged as uh, you know a, a human being by by this bank. Um, 
And also the demands, you know, the, the, that you were sort of writing about that rent not exceed 30% of, of income um, is incredibly reasonable. And yet in most, in, in most sort of major cities of the world, it's becoming now increasingly impossible to find anything um, within that range. Um, so what is your relationship uh, with the bank and how has it changed over the years that you've been occupying this space? At the moment, we don't anymore have any relationship with Bankia because um, due to this um, bank rescue program, uh, what has happened in Spain is that the government created a toxic asset bank uh, that's called Sareb that was uh, then stuffed with all the, all the toxic assets, as they call them, which are, uh, in the material sense, are empty, empty buildings, empty flats. And, and that is where these flats uh, stayed until very recently. So our building um, passed onto Sareb uh, quite quickly after we had occupied it. There was, um, there was a legal process, again, bank, uh, dem bank, bank demanding the money of the mortgage loans of the people who had lived in these flats previously. And when we entered, uh, there was, um, a threat uh, during a short time period that we would be evicted as those persons. But uh, we were able to identify ourselves as a new occupant, new inhabitants of, of these flats and uh, get our voice heard through uh, quite a long and, and tedious uh, legal procedure that actually is, uh, is still uh, going on or could be closed soon, but is still going on. And in the in the constitutional uh, court, we were given the right to have an opinion, a voice in in this legal procedure. But uh, what happens with Sareb is that um, it's a very opaque um, institution, half public, half uh, owned privately, that uh, does not um, render uh, accounts with the government, with the public. In almost any sense, and and from the 2014 the end of 2014 till the day, um, there has been no news, no response to any of our intents to contact with with the with the property. Nonetheless, uh, we have been trying because we we base exactly as you say uh, the occupation on the idea that we are proactive in taking contact with the property because we want to reach an agreement that uh, means signing uh, rent contracts that are are sustainable for us and exactly we use uh, we use the um, the uh, united nations criteria of an abusive rent which is uh, over 30 percent of the monthly family income <clears throat> and in the case that the family income is lower then the minimal uh, minimum salary then we go for 10 percent so we try to uh, m make a like a tailor-made solution for for each case and even though it's not our case in this building we have won a lot of them a lot maybe the biggest victory is the other building the twin building of this one that was occupied in the same date and uh, got contacted really fast by the property and uh, they signed uh, six months after the occupation, 11 social rents that were not in that building, but in, in other flats owned by the same bank. 
And so was this building empty because of evictions? No, not exactly. Here, uh, the people who lived here on mortgage loan uh, were not evicted as far as we know. And this is mouth-to-mouth uh, -mouth information that we have gathered talking with with the neighbors and so on. And also, um, it would seem so uh, from the fact that there was an ongoing mortgage loan eviction uh, procedure when, when we entered. So everything points to um, the people having gone left uh, trying to leave this shit and this mess behind them and uh, that was the case of many many especially many southern american uh, inhabitants and, and mortgage loan owners and, and they they have they have left spain practically because it has been impossible to try to get ahead in life uh, with the legislation in spain being the harshest in whole europe spain is the only country in in europe where if you lose your home due to impayment, you still have to assume the the mortgage loan to its full extent. Jesus. Yeah, so many people were left without a home and with a uh, debt for life. <laughs> uh, um, so you've been here for four years. Do you feel stable, I guess? I mean, I can imagine, and you write about this a bit in your piece, um, the waiting for the police to come and um, and take you out of the place where you're living forcibly. Um, but do you now feel sort of emotionally stable in this place or do you still have this kind of low-level anxiety about it? At the moment, I mostly do. I mean, that's actually the process, the emotional process. Uh, and I'm really glad that it's not a process that one has to do alone because uh, it's it's hard, but when you do it together, you feel a lot more secure, a lot more safe. You have a community and you have a campaign. You have a full battery of, of political arguments and, and actions that stand up for what you are doing as, as an individual. And um, it gets better with time. I mean, four years is a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And when you first start to living, I remember when 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 I moved in here, when we all moved in here four years ago, you see my flat is like a really small one. It's like 25 uh, square meters. I didn't have anything else than, than that exact uh, yoga mattress that you see there. <laughs> and I slept on the floor. I was, uh, I was, uh, I had my stuff from the French place. I was really afraid that we would be kicked out in a short period of time and I would maybe lose my stuff. And, and that's uh, <laughs> the little things that you hang on to when you live in such a precarious, precarious situation. So first you have to come to terms with some really basic fears. It fucks up your sleeping patterns and, and it makes you really anxious and so on. But then it get, gets better because there's a certain time gap, even legally, after which it's harder to get you out. And, and you learn to live in between, to find, uh, find joy in the intervals and you are not like projecting in the future so much. Mm -hmm. Okay, you have to keep on working in, on, on the campaign that you are doing, trying to reach a certain goal, but you also learn to learn to not to think too much or too not too much ahead because because that uh, makes you feel more more unstable. 
Yeah, and but it's not it's not a squat in the you know in the, in the sort of Berlin sense where uh, it's uh, you know sort of much more communal. So you have your own place. It's a fully functioning um, apartment. Um, so how much does that factor into it? I mean, it's it seems almost um, uh, almost normal. Almost normal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so there's there's this building and it and it looks like an apartment building and it's you know except for now probably if this were any other apartment building you wouldn't um you wouldn't know your neighbors you would just sort of pass by them in the hallway and nod at them exactly but in mm-hmm. in this particular situation you have to know your neighbors yeah we we know each other really well we have a functioning fully functional whatsapp group for any issues with with a certain um urgency right and and yeah we know each other really well we we consider each other as uh, comrade in a struggle that that probably will last for <laughs> quite a long time still <laughs> we can get that to that later which is the actual situation with with the new new bubble on the rental property growing day by day but yeah it's not a squat and and we also do a lot of this differentiation because there is a strong uh, tradition of squatting also in the rest of Europe and uh, with Lapa, there has been a regeneration of vocabulary of of uh, political arguments. For instance, uh, I we talk about recovering buildings instead of occupying them, mm-hmm. which already includes the demand of we have paid for it, mm-hmm. so we recovered for its social use, and and also there is a big difference with, if not all, m- many of the squads who uh, squat in order to make an argument by itself and they don't want to negotiate with the property. So uh, we we do it in another way and we think that this has been key in gaining the le- legitimacy that La Paz has today and, and also changing the imaginary, the collective imaginary about occupation in itself. Yeah, tell, and tell me a little bit about this neighborhood in particular. Um, it seems like um, I mean, it has this, a very sort of distinct atmosphere here that's different from every other neighborhood I've been in in Madrid. But it also seems like a small miracle that it exists still without being sort of swallowed up by gentrification and so on. Um, is there the threat of that happening at the moment? And um, is that part of the thinking behind uh, this organization is is how to keep that from happening that is actually the the burning issue of of now since uh, one year one and a half years ago because what happens obviously is that um with the new injections of money that the european central bank started to do two years ago one and a half years ago into the the spanish spanish uh, economy in the statistical sense you have economic recovery so you have uh, these lines going upwards but this is this is because of the injections that that the the central bank of europe has done and it has not affected the situation that the population is in so uh in districts like like Vallecas, which is uh, very well known in 
whole state of Spain and, and even beyond as a worker, uh, migrant um, barrio district, um, this has meant uh, that the, how to say, the public discourse on precarity, the public discourse on occupation has gotten harsher since there is a statistical recovery ongoing and and at the same time the population doesn't feel it anywhere there is uh, no more well-being jobs there is a similar kind of shame of of uh, shit jobs short-term contracts that was already created uh, years ago in in germany that is the model of, of mini jobs they call them and this means that statistically you might have less people in unemployment but uh, you might not be able to live even with two or three of those small jobs so um, the situation of the people who who live here is continues to be really tough and uh, as you said at the same time there is uh, a gentrificating force that is uh, coming towards Vallecas, Vallecas being the first uh, district in the peripheral area of Madrid so we have the uh, big freeway of, of M30 that is in a way thought as the border of the center with the periphery and uh, when uh, one year ago um, the rental market starts to um, show signs of a really really bad uh, bubble coming on and at the same time there is a lot of touristic um, touristic market growth in in the central areas that displaces the people who live in the central areas towards the periphery uh we are already seeing this we are seeing it a lot um, at the moment it's a it's a mix of of pre-gentrification in a sense that uh, there is a lot of problems associated with uh, with the drug uh, handling i mean all kinds of problems that sprout uh, from poverty but that are framed in another way in the public discourse. So, so you, you have a lot of drug-related occupations of buildings owned by the same banks that are owners of our housing, housing uh, occupations, but the banks don't report the drug-related occupations, even though they do, by rule, uh, report all of the housing occupations. So there is uh, interest by the big capital to let a certain degradation of the area to go forth yeah. so so that later these buildings uh, can, with a good excuse, be emptied, uh, renovated, uh, rented for, for a higher price. Um, yeah, so let's talk about the rental property bubble because it's such a problem um, everywhere at the moment. Um, so. Barcel the mayor of Barcelona has been very vocal recently about trying to fight off um, tourist rentals like Air Airbnb and, and uh, you know, all, all of its sort of competitors. Um, is that part of the issue in Madrid or is it coming from a different source? It is also it is also part of a pro problem. Obviously, it's. It, it might not be the, the focal point, even though it's the point that always gathers most attention. Uh, it forms a part of, of the rental bubble, obviously, and it forms a part of the chains of displacement that happen in, in gentrification. 
there is a lot of property of Airbnb and other similar kind of platforms, especially in, in central areas like Lava Pies, which is also um, really culturally vibrant, uh, migrant uh, district. And, and a lot of displacement of the inhabitants, the residents of that area happens because of tourist, tourist, rent, tourist rents, yeah. And so is that part of the, um, I guess, organized fight at the moment? Is there, is, are there sort of policy um, possibilities that can fight this or is it, you know, it, it just seems like um, so many cities have just rolled over and let Airbnb and, and so on do whatever they want to do to the property rental market. Um, and there isn't a sort of, uh, there seems to be so little organized thought about what we can do about this problem. Yeah, actually, I remember writing in my text about how we, we were going through a certain transformation that has to do with the transformation of the situation and and the housing market and, and how that has changed during these years and and by now i can i can gladly say that we have we have uh, survived <laughs> the transformation we still keep on existing and uh, now we have uh, like a joint uh, identity the same time that we still uh, keep on existing as a platform of people affected by mortgage we are now also a tenant union there is an umbrella organization in Madrid, uh, and and lo we are the local node here here in the area, and we are starting our first two campaigns, and one of them is uh, exactly about the um, tourist rental properties in the area. For now, really incipient. We are just uh, gathering information, trying to locate those of the flats uh, that are not owned by your nice neighbor who doesn't make the ends meet and needs to rent one room out, but rather um, hostel chains that uh, make, uh, they put on this mask of human face and they, they use uh, persons to make multiple profiles mm -hmm. and, and do that. And the other campaign is um, about uh, whole blocks that have been bought uh, by Vulture Funds or Sothimis, which is a certain particular figure of an enterprise that was actually created to uh, move uh, more of the money in the rental market. And uh, for now, um, we are starting to organize with um, two blocks that would be in total like uh, nine uh, staircases, so to say, uh, in the southern area of the district that have been uh, bought by two big players, uh, one of them being Blackstone, that mm -hmm. might ring a bell because it's really well yes. known in the <laughs> States. <Yes. laughs> yeah. And the other one by Vivenio, which is uh, a Spanish uh, Sosimi. And this campaign is called We Are Staying, and practically in all its um, brilliant simplicity, it's about uh, organizing the tenants to say in a collective voice when the letters come in saying either you go or you will pay 300 euros more per month and we want 1000 euros of deposit uh, no we are not doing that we will pay the price that was previously in our contract and the legally induced yearly raise and so how has this changed you in the sense, I mean, one of the things that I liked 
um, about this piece was, you know, this idea, you have this line about autonomy is not independence, it is interdependence. It seems like it would have a huge impact, especially in a society that wants us to think of ourselves as alone. And so when we have a problem, it is our problem to deal with and it's a failing of ours, right? And 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 there's there's so little organization and and sense of community and um organization. Um so how has been being um per, uh, a participant in this movement changed sort of what you think of um and uh, not just I think politically but also just kind of psychologically like how what has it done for you? I think uh, psychologically and socially it has changed everything for me. I mean, uh, as you said before, this looked like a normal building, like a normal flat, where I would not normally do more than maybe say hello to my neighbors. I am really happy to be really good friends, for instance, with my neighbor, Victoria, and uh, have a really heartfelt knowing that I can count on the others, even though I would not think they are my friends' friends. And um, yeah, it makes you learn a lot of stuff because the life you have had before is focused on how you can get ahead in life, even if it means trampling upon other people practically. That is, that is the, the neoliberal, neoliberal ethos of, of growing, growing up and, and, and doing your life. And it's not only learning to do stuff in a collective way, it's also, and I think most importantly, and this is key now, and it will be key in the future we want for the whole planet, I think, to try to try to find an attraction, um, an attraction, uh, a force in the difference, in all the multiple differences that that we have when we come together from really different backgrounds also with really different particular needs or or desires or tastes for stuff and uh, that creates a lot of difficulties and you can also you must also be able to say that out loud that there are a lot of lot of problems that are born out of the difference but you you learn to do like a switch like a like turn the differences around and and find the richness in them and 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 I think that is something that is key not only in the housing issues but in organ organizing in general in politics in general and I mean just to see to be able to see a future for a society where we can we can all live so that's one of the big 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 steps big uh, learning processes that I feel that I have been in and somehow you you give a part of you and your future and you don't you don't think anymore in such indi individualistic terms about what will come for you and there are moments that it makes you feel sad but most of the time not i mean i would my my balance sheet would would stand on the positive side sometimes you you look more on the things that you cannot do because you don't have the money because you don't have the career but in the end of the in the end of the day you don't want the society to be like that so you are willing to renounce that and i mean not to be overly dramatic but uh 
do do you see a future for a society that we can live in you know being sort of politically you know i write about a lot of these issues for leftist magazines and it just feels like sometimes a lot of talk um and sometimes it can be hard to see or have hope for anything ever changing except for these you know little weird pockets of the world where um people figure out a way to live their lives but for a larger society as a whole i mean you have that line about you know the road is way is made by walking which i think is very key to this is if you want you know create the society that you want to live in and hope that it spreads i mean is that is that sort of what you're doing i i think i think that is what we are doing i mean like with anything you have bad days and you have good days but in a big sense i do feel that what we are doing in lapa is the most important thing that i have been doing in my life and um i do think that uh, lapa is not anymore or did reach another level than being one of the weird pockets there is this thing that capitalism has that it's it's really great in isolating these kind of weird pockets of activism or or whatever kind of niches that that later don't communicate with each other and that are later incorporated into the market logic and and that's done in a really really a uh, fine way that even the people who who bring forth those practices don't always notice that it is exactly what is happening but i think with lapa we did reach in the best of our moment we did reach uh, a situation where the whole the society the spanish society as a whole and even the european society did um did have a certain like a uh, wake up wake up call in that sense what happens with this stuff is that uh, later years go by and and you always need a new wake up call you need a new push and and at this moment we are we are working on the tenants union but what i would love to see and i think most of us would love to see would be a new 15m a new uprising we we need to we need to have those kind of events that uh, are extraordinary that somehow shatter our idea of the possible and and open up the whole whole idea of 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 what life can be what society can be what politics means and and i i think as a society we need that every 10 years at least <laughs> <laughs> This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.